are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This episode is a product of our collaboration with Transformers Foundation. Transformers Foundation is the unified voice representing the denim industry and its ideas for positive change. It was founded to provide a thus far missing platform to the jeans and denim supply chain, and a central point of contact for consumers, brands, NGOs, and media who want to learn more about ethics and sustainable innovation in the denim industry. To find out more about Transformers, check out the links we've put in the show notes. This is part two of our conversation with Sanjeev Bal, founder and chief executive of Setex, a VLAN-based jeans manufacturer and certified B Corp that counts Avalon, Madwell, J Crew, Target, and G Star Row among its clients. Setex makes six million garments per year, has four thousand staff, four factories in Vietnam, and one in Los Angeles. Setex is also founding member of Transformers Foundation. In part one, Sanjeev shares a bit about his personal journey. How did he get into the apparel manufacturing business? Why does he prefer the term intersectional environmentalism to sustainability? And why did he start Recut? In case you missed part one, Recut is an offshoot of Setex. It describes itself as a movement to create jobs and equal opportunities for people with different abilities. In this episode, we get into the details. How is production set up? How does this differ to conventional apparel manufacturing contexts? Who buys Recut products, and how has Sanjeev managed to connect with buyers who value what he's doing as well as being willing to pay for it? And finally, what would it take to see more projects like Recut coming out of the apparel manufacturing world? And one last quick announcement: We've teamed up with Transformers Foundation on a couple of live panel discussions for suppliers by suppliers. Our goal to cross pollinate between the denim supply chain and supply chains in the rest of the apparel industry. The first panel discussion is on Tuesday, the thirteenth of April, and is all about vertical integration. As supply chains came to a screeching halt last year, consolidation and vertical integration became the industry's latest buzzwords. But these are ambiguous terms that can mean a lot of different things. How and why do suppliers at various tiers decide which parts of the production process they're actually going to do, and how does this shape approaches to sustainability? The panel is free and open to the public. Be sure to register via the link on our homepage at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to grow the conversation at manufactured underscore podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. Is Recut a specially designed system for? Um, for those differently abled people, I ask this question because I remembered one argument I I um I witnessed. This factory also have some differently abled people join the factory, 
And some people from the production management think this is a already established production system. Everyone has a target to meet, and that's necessary. So for those people, they are different, but however, they still need to meet up some targets. Maybe not exactly the same, but following the same logic. And some other people think that is not right because, in the first place, they are already differently abled. How can you use the same logic, same system? Use a target from the same logic and the same system to require them. That is not fair. But however, in that system, there is no. At that moment, I was thinking there is no way out because we everyone is already in this system. How can you define a different logic or different way for somebody already in this system? So I was wondering. I'm curious. The system must be designed in a very different way. It's production, but it's not the common production we see from other production facilities. Oh, okay. You know, my two cents here is first of all, ignorance is bliss. That's why we have ignorant conversations around. Ability and productivity and targets, because there is maybe they're used to the fast fashion system, right? Yeah, and they have become addicts, drug addicts, to targets and productivity. I wouldn't even call it productivity; I'd say production, because it's all cost oriented. Well, we can dress it up whichever way you like, but there's also a slow fashion system that sits next to the fast fashion system. We don't have to do anything in a hurry, but you have to do it clinically and in a sophisticated manner, which commands a different audience of people who respect high quality and high fashion. And there is there is there is a there is a premium for that. So we've chosen a slow fashion path, a separate factory, where we don't talk about targets, but we talk about the cleanliness of the work. The sophistication of the work, and you know, design matters at the end of the day. So, I mean, I would encourage people to, if they feel that they are part of a, a system where you are bound by efficiency and productivity and targets to be met, and you feel that that you know maybe including people with different abilities is going to slow you down, then I'm saying you got to also just readjust your moral compass, right? And、um, Because there are different ways to do it, you know. Let's talk about automation. You have a automatic hemming machine. Do you know what you need? You need a person just to guide the pocket into that hemming machine, and the machine sews. Now you tell me, what logic does that man who's running production have for productivity there and targets to be met? There, there's an automatic J-stitch machine. There's an automatic back pocket setter. All you have to do is to place that piece, and the machine does the job. So I don't understand that logic and argument when it talks about integrating people with different abilities into fast fat, in, even into fast fashion. That means you're not enabled to design、uh, your manufacturing system around people with different ability and yet maintain your targets. So there's a way to do that, but again, maybe in that factory, you know, they they're short of. Capex, and they're working in a traditional system, so I fully understand it. However, the opportunity for that factory could be to set up ten machines on the side. I'm not saying get a hundred, but even get five. You know, ten. Ask them to sit down over there and do some hand embroidery, make some bags, do small things. You don't have to make big things happen. Design it properly, create some value around it, 
and let the let the universe decide what it's worth and how people gravitate towards it. It's a completely different business model in that sense. I have sort of two thoughts in my head. I'm curious what kind of customers are buying the recut products because I'm thinking about effectively how in a conventional garment factory setting costing is done and these price negotiations go because I can imagine situations where like I think this the situation that Jesse has described is basically mm -hmm. directly tied to the way that costing is done and you know you you break a product down into all of its various steps and you come up with a number of minutes that are required and then you convert that into a um monetary figure and that becomes the basis for then going into price negotiations which i mean we lost as a factory like when i was a factory manager we lost orders over half a cent and so when you're losing orders over that then suddenly a process taking 10 minutes versus 15 minutes is a really big deal now my view is that it's not a it's not a very resilient way to produce you know it, it's it's not a very um it's a very i don't know the word brittle comes to mind you know it it might be highly efficient but but it's very fragile um but i'm just and 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 so i'm just curious how within cytex you have coped with this and whether you basically have had to find a sort of different group of customers who are you know, willing to look at these kinds of things differently, or whether you take a totally different approach, maybe even on the on the on the costing side, or it's a combination of two. So first of all, you know, we we've, we've been fortunate to partner with IKEA, who recognized Recut as a social as their social entrepreneurial partner. We're not the only one; they have a couple more, but in Vietnam, we are their social entrepreneurial partner. So. You know, it's a matter of articulating the product. So if you look at home furnishings and, you know, like a table mat, it's a straight stitch operation. It's not complex. So IKEA is a $40 billion company and it can provide scale as well as simplicity at the same time. So, you know, I think they've been, they have, a, they definitely, this organization has a massive moral compass, I got to tell you, and they understand social enterprises. So they treat you as a social enterprise. They don't treat you as a mass production outfit and, you know, bargain with you for that last half cent. It's not like that. Because, you know, you know, in this whole huge $40 billion, what's a couple of million dollars? So they do invest in doing the right thing. So again, you know, I mean, like I said, it's a combination. So we were fortunate to to partner with IKEA on one side. And on the other side, if you look at our website, it's it's more direct to consumers. So we have a great B2B partner, but you know, we have the ability to start making product and push it direct to consumer. And you can dictate your price there and you can you can dictate your margin. So you know you you're in control of your destiny there. But I I agree with you, Kim. You know, if you're not in control of your destiny and if you if you're just another hamster in this in this wheel, it's kind of difficult to to justify um, inclusivity. 
Something that I often hear as sort of being the thing that brands are bringing to the table, which suppliers cannot do or struggle to do is understanding of consumer behavior and ability to sort of or being best positioned to predict what consumer demand will be. So how have you, if you're now selling direct to consumer, how have you addressed that? Or how have you made sure that you have that expertise and that knowledge within within SciTex and within Recut? Well, so firstly, there's no competitive threat here because, you know, Recut is not for profit. It's Recut, R-E-K-U-T dot org. We're not a dot-com company. Secondly, we're not producing anything that would even come anywhere close to competing with anybody who we do our business with. Uh, thirdly, we, have, we, we seek uh, collaborations. So even with people who we work with, we are collaborating today with a couple of other companies who we work with to to do some um, some interesting projects, right? Which could be which could be beneficial for both sides. Now, now the question that you asked me was the capacity and the capability of organizations to go direct to consumer. So again, it's a very single dimensional conversation, right? Now imagine a guy with a thousand machines with three thousand workers. He's not going direct to the consumer because if he does, he's going to, he's going to be spitting into his own plate. His, his business is not designed for that. His business is designed to be a B2B operator. And, you know, that person should be happy just doing their B2B job because the business has been designed to do that. Now, again, if your business is not, is designed to go be, be direct to consumer, then it's a completely different level of skill sets. Uh, it's about um, it's about understanding who you're marketing to. It's about having the ability to have a digital strategist on board more than a production manager, right? It's it's about it's about um, automated marketing analytics. There's a whole different world over there, and for that, you just need a completely different ecosystem, a completely different uh, thought process and a completely different pool of talent. It's completely different. So I always hear about this, about, you know, factories wanting to go direct to consumer. So, you know, you know what I would say to them is, well, then just make sure that you have the right infrastructure to do that kind of business. The, the fact of the matter is, you know, your factory is not geared to go direct to the consumer because it's built for different purposes. So the reason I ask that question is because what I'm trying to sort of get a sense of is like, what would it take to see more, quote unquote, recuts or inclusive approaches to manufacturing coming out of the manufacturing world? And what would sort of your advice or suggestions, especially to, to small to medium sized manufacturers be who are maybe interested in this, in this, but are, you know, struggling to figure out the how? Right. So that's a great question. Um, adoption and then scalability are always two um, big humps to cross. What we would like to do in the long term is first establish ourselves, you know, recut um, as a social entrepreneurial project, establish it to be profitable so that we can hire more people with that money with different abilities. Our philosophy is really clear about that. Whatever money we make, it's going to go back into, you know, hiring more people and giving more people equal opportunity. 
So the transparency and the honesty also matters, right? Um, and then once we've created that system, the world is a marketplace and we all have tools to franchise, uh, you know, to franchise uh, the model. And once we've set up the system, then I think Recut in Vietnam will be the head of the octopus. It'll be like McDonald's. And hopefully, you know, what works, what doesn't work, you know, we're writing everything down, we're scripting it out, uh, you know, observing it carefully, being very mindful with the data that we generate because it's an open source model. It's not, it's not, you know, that model is also an inclusive model. It's not an exclusive mm. model. So what, you know, at the end of the day, listen, I said that to you earlier, there's one and a half billion people on the planet. If you, if I, if, you know, if we profess this to be an exclusive model, are you kidding me? We won't even go beyond a thousand in five years. So where is the impact we created? The only way we can create impact is to build a proof of concept, make it a MVP, and then unleash it for others to, to you know, to, to take this move, movement forward. From our side, we can be that catalyst and the provider of intelligence and then the propeller of change. That's, that's our mission. Last time we talked to you, we, we really got the sense that ReCut was, at least in part, the result of desperation. So other entities like government or nonprofits or whatever either didn't want to or were not able to take on the issue, at least at the scale that is really required, as you point out, to address all the people in the world who are differently abled. And so we're curious, I think we're curious about, in that sense, you know, you have this ecosystem of different types of entities and what specifically you think the role is of private companies in terms of addressing this really big systemic challenge that we're, we're collectively up against. Yeah. So, you know, you used a, a very important word a while ago, and that word is an ecosystem. And, you know, when you're building ecosystems, it takes a lot of time. And an ecosystem is always drawn in by a magnet until until everything is not interconnected that ecosystem is like amoeba it keeps on changing shape size and form and meanders all over the place so there are a lot of great intentions there are a lot of great concepts but for intentions and concepts to create an ecosystem you need a model right so when I said that we are a catalyst for change, actually what I was also saying is that we love modeling and we try and get the proof of concept and the MVP out in the forefront, which becomes the magnet. And that magnet helps to glue in all the actors and players. So if you look at Recut, what we have done, you know, we have government involved, we've got NGOs involved, we have, um, you know, all sorts of actors and players involved in this whole uh, building this whole ecosystem so what happens is once that ecosystem starts forming right then the nucleus you know starts starts taking shape and that's what really you know you know creates growth and creates uh, creates you know I, I hate saying it like this but let's let's call a spade a spade it call it you know it sets the tone for replication of that model and we live, we, 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 are, we are a society of replicators. There's one creator and a million replicators. So, 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 you know, what we feel is this little magnet 
can create a you know the formation of an ecosystem and 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 that to be replicated hopefully you know in mass so the the private sector they have resources now the resources are distributed in different ways uh you know there there's some budgets available for the marketing department there's some budgets available for the sustainability department so there are budgets available it's not like they don't have availability of money but they they really they and they have concepts they got really smart people who sit in meetings for 24 hours a day but they really don't have the the ability to take that concept and model it now if we've already modeled it and created the ecosystem to glue in the private sector is damn easy then so i hope i'm answering it in a different way but right now this is a white piece of paper and it's virgin territory and um, you know when you're building um a model that does not exist um you you somehow have to figure out you know a way to magnetize it and that's 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 exactly you know what we've been trying to do in a short period of time i like the word magnet magnet and uh, gluing to get other parties as other entities involved and then eventually you would have an ecosystem before we wrap is there anything that you'd like to say that we haven't covered yeah you know i mean i think we should we should be mindful of how we how we play with that word sustainability and uh, we should look beyond taking advantage of some parts which have not been rule booked and have got no accountability attached to it for loose talk so i would i would always recommend that you know we we just start manning up and maturing and you know try and stop that verbal diarrhea and start and start you know start really getting into the meat and the essence of our existence and our responsibilities and start looking at intersectional environmentalism and looking at creating you know positive impact uh for both you know the people and the planet at one shot why do you think that it's so difficult to have these sort of holistic nuanced conversations around sustainability education you see when we when we went to school we all got smart they taught us about what tipu sultan did in 1757 but they didn't tell us how important it was to plant a tree every day in our life they 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 taught us about which what the yangtze kiang and the yellow river and uh where the eiffel tower was but they didn't teach us you know that it was you know, beyond your white picket fence how we you know how we have to conduct ourselves in society so we had institutions like religion and we had institutions like family right to subscribe to our upbringing but we spent most of our you know growing up period in schools and unfortunately i can tell you listen we've all we've all uh, paid a lot and our parents have paid a lot and we continue to pay for our kids a lot and i and i and i fail to understand why why these simple things have not been embedded and ingrained and integrated into our educational systems so that's one side of it 
The other side of it is there's no law. See, we, you know, they, they, for us, because we are, as a race, we are so indisciplined, you need to put a traffic light to tell you when to stop, when to go, right? And then even after that, you need a cop to ticket you, <laughs> right? This, this is how we are as a race. You've got to understand this for the better part. So when you know we are like that, there's no rule book on how you're supposed to operate. So the legality of our actions towards intersectional environmentalism is equal to zero. The education and the fundamentals and the foundation to bring us up to, up to speed on what it's all about and what's the, what's the shape of this elephant is zero. And until and unless we don't shift gears and get our educational systems integrate common sense into it, how do you expect a legal system to emerge? So you have no foundation and you expect a legal system to start creating values and holding you accountable for something you never learned? That's crazy. You know, that's, 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 that's something that, you know, kind of bothers me. And um, I'm not saying I'm going to start a school, but who knows? Well, and it's interesting because in this, with Recut, in, in going direct to consumer, that is also, in one sense, an opportunity to educate, right? Because you have, it starts, I assume anyway, it's, you start to build a direct relationship with the public. Yes, you're right. We just have to be mindful that we don't walk into that sympathetic zone. That's a very dangerous zone. You mean like a victim narrative? Yes. And and I don't want to, I don't, and that's why we've been taking our time to understand it a little better. And that's why we haven't made too much noise about it as yet, because we, we, we truly want to understand it and be really mindful that there's no, you know, the victim narrative attached to it. But it's interesting because it sort of comes full circle because when I sort of was trying to get a sense of why recut, why not just do everything that recut is doing without the sort of land brand or line that sort of comes with it. And what your response was, was effectively all about narrative. And narrative is also a big part of education. And the stories that we have about the world, the stories that we use to make sense of the world, but also, I think, in this particular case, the single story that so often so many people have about a particular group and, and trying to, to change that. So I commend you on that thought. That's a brilliant thought, and I'm going to take it forward. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.